Hi, this is Sean Fenske, editor of Medical Product Outsourcing Magazine, and I'm back for another episode of Mike on MedTech, where we're talking about different issues that affect uh, the regulatory, the clinical, the uh, reimbursement uh, aspects of medical device development. Uh, as, with us, as always, Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences, and today we are going to address uh, reimbursement, approaching it as a sort of reimbursement for engineers, looking at product development process and how it impacts reimbursement decisions and how reimbursement can affect uh, product development decisions. So uh, welcome to another episode, Mike, and thanks for joining us as always. Well, thank you, Sean, for the invitation. Always a pleasure to speak with you and your audience. So let's get right into it in terms of, uh, you know, the engineer and their day-to-day of product development and getting these these new creative, innovative products out to market, uh, what do they need to, to consider uh, with regard to uh, reimbursement? Well, that's a great question, Sean. So first and foremost, let me um, acknowledge a simple reality of the world for my many engineer friends. And as, as you know, I have a Ph.D. in biomedical engineering, so I understand the mentality. There's only one topic on earth that is more boring to talk about for engineers than regulatory, and that is reimbursement. But that is not my intent here. This is, as you said, specifically reimbursement for engineers. Why is this? Why is reimbursement important for engineers? And quite frankly, it's extraordinarily important, especially in product development, uh, because just as like you and I have talked about before when it comes to regulatory, it's very important to consider regulatory as early in the product development process as possible. It is just as important to consider reimbursement as early in the product development as possible. There have been a number of medical devices that have come onto the market, including some from some of the largest medical device companies on earth that because they have not considered reimbursement early in the product development process, which in my opinion is a very amateur mistake, it's a very rookie mistake, it should never happen, uh, they get the device through the FDA and onto the market, but because it's difficult or in some cases impossible for people to get paid for it, uh, either hospitals or physicians or what have you, nobody ends up using it. No patients are benefited. Uh, the company doesn't make any money. So it's basically it's a big flop. So uh, there are a whole bunch of reasons why reimbursement um, is important, especially in a product development uh, sense, and that's just one of them. And obviously there's a lot that goes into why, you know, the product's not being used. Reimbursement, you know, is, is just a portion of that. But if no one's using it, you can get into human factors issues and, and a number of things that all need to be considered. And uh, fortunately we've seen the FDA uh, guidances on some of those things in, in recent years. That's correct. Um, and, and one other quick example, Sean, uh, as we've talked about before, um, as a regulatory consultant and as an engineer myself, I can advise companies, okay, if you design your device this way, it might be a 510K. On the other hand, if you design your device this other way, it might be a PMA. Well, by, doing, by considering reimbursement early in the process as well, we can do exactly the same thing. In other words, if we design the device one way, uh, it might fit into one particular reimbursement code. On the other hand, if we design the device another way, then we can get it into, you know, fit it into another reimbursement code. 
So the reason why this is, again, so important to think about early on is because those kinds of changes are pretty easy to make or at the very least to consider early in the product development process. Unfortunately, what happens to all too many medical device companies, they get through the entire product development process. In many cases, they get through the entire regulatory process, and then they think, oh, now we have to think about reimbursement. But by that time, I don't want to go quite so far as to say that it's too late, but clearly you have very limited options if you wait until, you know, towards the nearly the end of the finish line. Um. Uh, so you all right, so you brought up a couple things there. One thing that I just have a quick question on is does reimbursement is reimbursement impacted based on the regulatory pathway of 510k or PMA? Well, that's a great question, Sean. Um the the answer is sort of. I mean, I can tell you that there's no direct relationship between FDA and CMS. Um, although there is something uh, that some of in your audience are probably familiar with, and that is the uh, the joint pathway. You know, when you're going for the FDA approval uh, at the same time, you can go for CMS approval. Perhaps we can talk about that uh, a little bit later if you want. But I can tell you, in general, the higher the classification of the device, class one, class two, class three, the better. The, the, the more reimbursement you get. So as a general rule, of course, there are many exceptions, but as a general rule, a Class 3 device will be reimbursed at a higher level than a Class 2, which will be reimbursed at a higher level than a Class 1. Uh, and when it really gets, obviously, nebulous is when you get into um, uh, over-the-counter devices or this relatively new area of wellness products. Uh, if people are buying these out-of-pocket of course, there is no reimbursement at all. And right. by the way, um, you know, many medical device companies, they consider uh, reimbursement, you know, which they should. Um, but a few of my entrepreneurial colleagues uh, are always looking for medical device areas where reimbursement is a non-issue. For example, if you're using a medical device in a cosmetic indication, like, you know, just one of several examples, using lasers to remove tattoos or something like that, uh, clearly CMS is not going to reimburse for that. Clearly insurance companies are not going to pay for that, nor should they. But from a business perspective, that's got some very significant advantages because, quite frankly, you don't then have to deal with CMS. You don't have to deal with the insurance companies, and you can basically you know, charge whatever you want, and people are either going to buy it or not. So the vast majority of medical devices, obviously, reimbursement is, uh, is sort of a prerequisite. Um, but there are some medical devices where people look specifically for areas where reimbursement, as I said, is a non-issue. So to, to, to go off of something again that you, you said, the path, the, the higher up in class you're going – uh, is typically reflects the greater uh, amount of reimbursement you're going to receive. But the higher in class you're going may lead you towards a more strenuous regulatory pathway. So ultimately, is the engineer and, and with the rest of the development team trying to strike a balance where they're getting the highest reimbursement for the the simplest, for lack of a better word, simplest regulatory pathway? 
Well, you know, I think that's a great question, Sean, and I think the, you, the word that you use, the B word, balance, is, uh, is, a, is, a, is an excellent way to, to summarize it because you're exactly right. You know, one of the things that I've learned in my 25 years of playing this game is that oftentimes what you want to say, for example, from a regulatory perspective is diametrically opposed, is 180 degrees out of sync from what you want to say from a reimbursement perspective. And so this is why I always say you cannot... Um, design regulatory strategies in isolation. You have to uh, integrate them with your reimbursement, with your uh, intellectual property, with your product liability, you know, with, with, with everything else. You really have to take, and most people do not do this, you really have to take a holistic approach. So you need to get the team together. You need to make sure that you have the expertise that you need. And this is, by the way, one of the tenets of the design controls uh, is to make sure that you have, you know, all the different people that you need with the different areas of expertise. And you need to say, okay, from a regulatory perspective, here is what we want to say. From a reimbursement perspective, here is what we want to say. From a product liability perspective, here is what we want to say, or in that case, what we don't want to say. And then we kind of, you know, merge all this together and to use your word to find the balance. I'll give you a very quick example. I was recently in California helping um, a, a device company uh, who's, who's in the process of designing a new device. And at the same time they were designing their device, they asked me to design four or five different uh, high-level labeling statements, intended use and indications for use statements for the same exact device under development. And I put together four or five different possible statements, and I did a regulatory risk assessment and a regulatory burden assessment on each one. In other words, if you want to say this about your device, this is what you're going to have to do in terms of testing. This is the probability of being successful in bringing it through the FDA. On the other hand, if we want to say something else about our device, that's what we will have to do in terms of testing. That's our probability of being successful at the FDA. And when we presented this to the senior management, we didn't just discuss it from a regulatory perspective. We also brought in uh, reimbursement because, as I said before, oftentimes what we want to say from a regulatory perspective may be uh, 180 degrees out of sync with what we want to say from a, a reimbursement perspective. Yet another reason why we need to consider these things as early in the product development process as possible because, quite frankly, it's much easier to make changes earlier in the process as opposed to late. The last thing that you want to have to do is get your device through the FDA with a particular you know, form of labeling only to come to find that now you're having reimbursement problems. So in order to address your reimbursement problems, you have to change your labeling. And now you have to go back to FDA and say, well, we want to modify our label for you. I mean, that's a total amateur mistake. It should never happen. But unfortunately, it does. So you're, so you're really, so not only, uh, you know, product engineers is about, you know, development and, and designing this cool new product. And then, you know, they know once they've, once they've got it set, they lock it down. But it sounds like what you're saying is that lockdown cannot happen until the other team members have been brought in, until regulatory has been brought in, until reimbursement has been brought in, that balance has been found where all parties are satisfied. So the regulatory folks say, you know, we've, we've got our, our target. We're willing to take on this amount of, of 
risk or, or regulatory uh, uh, review. Um, reimbursement says, okay, if, if this is what happens, we will you know, be paid X amount for it. And the product developer says, hey, this is you know, still a cool new product. You know, we made you know, this one sacrifice on design, uh, but we're, we're comfortable with where it's at. at. At the very minimum, those three groups need to be on the same page, not even getting into you know, sales and, and the, the C-level executives. Yes, Sean, that's exactly right. I would just – a very, very small modification to what you just said. Um, I don't want to give your audience the impression that you cannot, to use your phrase, lock it down sooner. Um, you certainly can. But if you do lock it down sooner without getting those other uh, areas of uh, regulatory and reimbursement and so on involved, then you run, in my opinion, a pretty significant risk of you know, the scenario that I just described earlier, and that is uh, that you now have to um, you know, back up and try to undo things that you've done already. And as I said, that's, very, that's easily avoidable. Um, again, to put this in an engineering you know, framework, Obviously, the bulk of your audience is, you know, engineering folks. Engineers are certainly familiar with the design controls. Well, one of the basic tenets, never mind what the actual regulation of the design controls says, but one of the basic tenets, one of the basic philosophies is what Socrates said a very, very long time ago, and that is uh, knowing the difference between what you know and what you don't know. And so one of the things the design controls reminds us is to make sure that we have not just the R&D engineer, but the manufacturing folks and, you know, all the other things. Well, this is exactly the same as the design controls. You know, make sure early in the product development process, as an R&D engineer, for example, that you consider regulatory, that you consider reimbursement. For, for people who are engineers who really understand the philosophy of the regulation, never mind the, the letter of the law, but the philosophy of the regulation, these should not be new concepts. They should be quite familiar to you. And so, uh, you know, my most pragmatic advice for the engineers in your audience is when you're developing a, a new medical device, um, seek out people uh, who, who have expertise in these other areas, in regulatory or in reimbursement, and say, hey, I'm working on this new device. Um, obviously, I don't know a lot about regulatory. Obviously, I don't know a lot about reimbursement or whatever area. But what kinds of things do I need to be thinking about now? What kinds of options do I need to uh, be aware of to keep open so that I can integrate those with my product development strategy, with my, um, with my engineering strategy? We have to take a, a holistic approach. You know, how many times have... Um, you know, years ago, I remember as an R&D engineer, I was, uh, you know, very young and naive. Uh, today, not so young, but still pretty naive. <laughs> you know, my idea was um, if I can build two or three different devices that worked, it was somebody else's job to figure out how to make two or three million of them that worked. This was a long time ago, back in the days where we used to refer to throwing things over the, over the wall from, from R&D to manufacturing. Um, now we have, as part of the design controls, the concept of design for manufacturing. Well, I extend that uh, metaphor, that mental uh, metaphor a little bit, you know, design for 
regulatory, design for uh, reimbursement. Keep all of these things in mind earlier rather than later. And, uh, you know, what's the adage? Uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a, a pound of cure, something like that. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, you know, this is a, a fantastic topic. Uh, I appreciate you making it a little more digestible for the audience, um, but unfortunately I think that's that's going to be it for today. Uh, certainly a topic that we could uh, we could look to, to do as a part two uh, coming up. Should anyone in the audience have any questions or uh, have a specific uh, topic that they'd like us to talk about on a future issue of Mike on MedTech, whether it relates to reimbursement, regulatory, product development, whatever it is, please feel free to, to email us and we'll, uh, we'll certainly consider it and uh, possibly use it for an upcoming podcast. But for now, I, uh, I think we're going to wrap up. And uh, like I said, we'll look to do a perhaps a part two uh, regulatory or uh, reimbursement strategy for engineers uh, in a future uh, podcast. So for Mike Drews, I'd like to thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next Mike, Mike on MedTech.